Good evening. Welcome to our Sunday evening assembly. Be opening your Bible, please, to 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 5. Many of you are familiar with this Old Testament narrative. Perhaps you haven't reviewed it in a while. So this will be a review of the story for many of us with applications for good thought and self-examination. I'm going to take us through the text at 2 Kings chapter 5. I'll pause at various places and make some observations, and then we will drive right into application. 2 Kings chapter 5. Let me start just with verse 1 by itself. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Second Kings 5 and verse 1, the writer gathers together a report of what Naaman was known for. And this would have made a great resume back in that time. Military service was honored in the nation where you served, and to some extent in other nations where your fame might have been reported. It says Naaman was great, and it says he was in high favor. Though he was not a Jew, it says the Lord had given victory to Syria, where Naaman was known as a mighty man of valor. So look at this verse as Naaman's resume. Naaman's resume. And he would have been considered in his age, his time, a successful man. However, you heard the last phrase of verse 1 in 2 Kings 5. He was a leper. Success, high favor, and celebrity status has never kept anyone from disease. A valiant soldier with a good resume, but he had leprosy. Leprosy in the Bible encompassed a variety of fatal, wasting skin diseases that slowly disabled and disfigured the victims. It was very much like what we dread and hate so much today that we capture with the word cancer. With leprosy, your body went through a slow motion explosion. Your body would fall apart in stages. Eventually, death would be considered a relief. Wealth and reputation couldn't heal you. No matter how many victories a soldier won on the battlefield, how well known he was, how many medals and awards he had, this particular battle with leprosy would be lost. Success, pursued with impressive energy, could not overcome the consequences of this disease. Now, the writer then brings into the picture 
a little slave girl. We're at verse 2. Now the Syrians, on one of their raids, had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. The writer here in verse 2 reports something very common in ancient battles. The victors would claim not only the spoils of war, the physical treasures and the valuables, they would sometimes take people, especially young women who would then become household slaves the rest of their lives. This was an Israelite girl who was now pressed into service at the home of Naaman, the great military commander, but who was a leper. Apparently, she held no grudge or harbored no active resentment. There is evidence in verse 3 that she really cared about her master. She said to Naaman's wife, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Now stop here. If you were Naaman, what would you do upon hearing this? There's someone over in Samaria who can cure you of your leprosy. If you were Naaman, what would your reaction be? I think my reaction would be, let's go. How quickly can we pack? How quickly can we get there? How much will it cost? No matter what it costs, tell me anything I need to do and know to get to this man who can heal me of leprosy. Well, it starts out like that. Naaman goes to his superior to get time off. Verses 4 and 5. Naaman went in and told his Lord, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So this is what we expect. Naaman hears that there's somebody who might help him. He packs. He goes to get a letter from the king. He gets permission to have time off. He loads up money and clothing. And he arrives and presents his letter of recommendation to the king of Israel. Well, it doesn't go so well. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends words to me? To cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. Well, this doesn't go well at this point. Heads of state often misunderstand one another and get into conflict. So the king of Israel reacted, What do you think I am? Am I God? It seems at this point like everything is going to fall apart. But then you continue reading at verse 8. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, 
he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. Now, pause again at this place. If you really believe the prophet Elisha, and you are sick and tired of dying with leprosy, and all the pain that accompanies that disease, what is your response? I'll tell you what mine is. It's probably similar to what your reaction would be. I'm going to the Jordan. I'm going to make haste. I will not sit around and wait. I'm not going to stop and be a tourist or visit with people. I will not put it off. I'm getting myself to the Jordan. I'm going to be immersed seven times, as the man said. I'll get one of my servants to count or keep track. I don't need to know how this works. I don't care that this method may seem odd. I'm going to the Jordan. I want to be free of leprosy. At this point in the story to us, it just all seems so simple. But Naaman was shocked. In fact, more than just being surprised or shocked, he was angry and he went away. If you could look into his mind, maybe you would see something like, I thought there would be more than just this. Maybe some ceremony, something like a wand. But of all things, Naaman says he didn't like the choice of rivers. In verses 11 and 12, Naaman was angry and went away saying, Behold, I thought... I want you to remember that. Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. We might see in the mind of Naaman something like this. Naaman was a man who all his life developed certain ways of doing things. As a leader, he had expectations. He would tell people to do things and they would do it. He would use money and maybe drop names and apply some influence and get people in high places to write letters. He got that pretty quick. This is the way life worked according to Naaman. Behold, I thought, he said. You pull strings and pay the price and get control, and you expect great things to happen just in the way that you think and you envision. So he went off in a rage. Now, it is good in life to have good people around you who, when you are all emotional and in a rage, there's somebody to reason you out of your stubbornness. 13 and 14. And his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. 
Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. You can't control God, make demands of God, expect Him to do things your way, or pay Him off or something. You can't take all the expectations that you've developed in your life of leadership and military strategy and impose that on God. What you must do is just do what God says. He is God. That's how you get to a story's good ending. You just do what is commanded. A gospel preacher in London put on his social media the other day an observation about this after I had worked all this up. But he makes an application that most of us think of immediately. If you understand that Naaman's dipping seven times in the Jordan River was necessary to be cleansed of his leprosy, and that he was cleansed not by works, but by the grace of God, then you can understand that baptism is necessary for the forgiveness of sins, and that one is cleansed not by works, but by the grace of God. That's absolutely correct. It's a great story. What does it tell us about God? Let's go now to our takeaways. When God asks of us to do something, our response should be trust and obey. He doesn't want to see our military record or our professional resume. He knows about all of us, good or bad, from beginning to end. We can't bribe God with money or things as the pagans did. We can't put God in debt to us. We can't expect Him to do things our way. God sent Jesus to die on the cross, and we sing, Jesus paid it all. When we are convicted of sin and we come to the cross, we don't need to bring monies or letters of recommendation or boasting. We don't need to expect God to do it the way we envision. We are sinners. We do what God says. He is God. Trust and obey. There is no other way. We don't question the way God has set it up. We don't find another way. We don't debate against baptism. We don't assess whether we like the way God has set things up. We just do it because He is God. We can use this story to help people understand that their response to the gospel is just this simple. Trust and obey. In baptism and after baptism, trust and obey. Second, when you dig a little deeper below the surface of the narrative, you discover what is implied. Success in various earthly pursuits provides no automatic shield against disease or sin. 
You can build a successful career with an impressive resume and load that 401k for early retirement and have more money than you ever imagined you would have, but still cancer or some disease may hit you. It was the old Bible commentator Matthew Henry who said, No man's greatness or honor or interest or valor or victory can set him out of the reach of the sorest calamities of human life. There are many sickly, pained bodies under rich and glamorous clothing. And so we need to set a course in life that isn't dependent on earthly success. Though there may be earthly success, we cannot make an idol of it, as Darrell illustrated in the reading earlier, or as I described last Sunday night. Trust and obey God, and that foundation prepares you for whatever may be ahead. Number three, there is a character in the story you could almost miss, but I think we cannot leave out. The little servant girl or maid who was taken captive from Israel. One verse, one verse is devoted to telling her story. Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Have you thought about how you would feel if you were taken captive against your will in a combat situation under war circumstances, kidnapped, human trafficking, forced slavery? What would your attitude be toward your master from then on? Resentment would be very easy. If this girl had thought, after all I've suffered, taken from my family and country, maybe this man will just die. We would understand that. If this servant girl had said, after what this man and his army did to me and my family, at least maybe, maybe a finger will fall off his hand, which sometimes happened with leprosy. We would not, we, we'd understand that. If she had said, I would love to dance on his grave, most people would understand that. No evidence of any such thoughts on the part of this slave girl. In fact, contrary to that, there was sympathy and concern for the diseased warrior who held her. Love your enemies and pray for them, Jesus said. And that may be illustrated here in the action of this slave girl. I'll tell you, some of the unsung heroes of the Bible are not described in long biographical narratives. Just a verse. A servant girl who cared for a man that took her captive. The answer came from the slave quarters. 
And when you think about the care that she had, it may remind you of someone who had even greater care. It may remind you of one who is the ultimate example of being mistreated, but then caring and loving nevertheless. Jesus Christ. That mistreatment did not keep him from caring and paying the ultimate price for those he cared for. And then came his apostles spreading the gospel and telling people, and still today it's written in the New Testament, there's one simple response to him, trust and obey. I hope this little narrative has been a useful review for all of us. And if this is new to you, if you've never heard this, maybe this will call attention to everything before this story and everything after this story about God's provisions revealed in His Word about who Jesus is and what He did to take us out of sin and take us into fellowship with God and take us to heaven. Still today, the reaction ought to be trust and obey. Let's be standing as we sing.